again, let me, let me reiterate this. I'm reading and enjoying reading many of the different prophetic words that have been shared about this year and different things that God is speaking. And uh, so this is in no way uh, saying that I don't agree with people hearing from the Lord. I just felt like what the Lord was calling me to do with us as, as this family uh, is to really focus on Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I don't even know how long uh, well, you know, here's what Paul said. I've got one message. It's Christ <laughs> and him crucified, right? <laughs> so uh, it's a pretty good message. I feel really like I'm on safe ground and prophetic ground when uh, we're talking about Jesus. And I, and I do want to preach it in a prophetic way. What I mean by that is us being open to the current ministry of Jesus in our lives right now as I am, right? Uh, come on, Gary. That's what I'm talking about right there. Right, no future tripping. You got it, bro. No future tripping. We're not just getting all caught up in what might happen in 2018, what should and what could. But enjoying, and I've said this, I'll keep saying this because really for me, this is what I keep feeling like the Lord's speaking to me. Enjoying every yellow brick on the yellow brick road all the way to the Emerald City. Not making it just about someday, somehow I'll get to the Emerald City but enjoying every brick on the yellow brick road, in, enjoying every moment of every day with Jesus. I'm, I'm really enjoying, enjoying Jesus. So we're going to talk about what that means through this series to have Jesus, the Word himself. As John chapter 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word that became flesh and wrapped himself in flesh for eternity. He wrapped himself in our flesh. And uh, so he became flesh, and he is forever our I am God. So we're looking at that. There's, there's actually seven different I am statements in the book of John. We're going to study each one of them. This morning, we're still setting up and moving into that first saying today. And actually, just for the sake of time, I'll, you, you've got it in your notes. We, we covered it last week. You can read verse 24 in the, in the corresponding notes. I want to go right to verse 25. It says this, and this is speaking about those who had been on the other side of the sea when Jesus fed the, it's actually 15,000 men, women, and children. And now Jesus is on the other side of the lake. And it says, when they, those that had been fed, the 15,000, cross over the lake themselves, the Sea of Galilee, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when, when did you get here? I want you to write this in your notes, and I feel like this is something the Lord is speaking to, to me for, for 2018. You will be surprised at where you find Jesus. You're going to be surprised at where you find Jesus. Now, if we want to get theological with this, and I don't mind that. I actually love theology. And um, am, Did you know I'm back in seminary? I don't know if I told you guys that, that I'm in seminary right now studying that. So I love it, absolutely, all right? So I don't mind talking about that. If we're going to get theological, God is everywhere all the time, right? I mean, that's one of the things that makes God God and us not God, huh? But when I say, so when I say you will be surprised at where you find Jesus, I think sometimes we're surprised at where we find him working. Now, for these guys, 
they had just seen him the day before on the other side of the sea and they didn't know how he got to the place where he was now and they're a bit confused about how he showed up there and what are you doing here when did you get here really for them it was more of an opening line than anything like hey let's start this conversation back up and why don't you get the fish and bread going again let's get this thing going you could we could follow you everywhere you could feed us every single day and do miracles it'll be awesome we're going to crown you king it's going to be amazing for them it was kind of an opening question but when i read it i felt like the holy spirit was when they asked the question, you know, Rabbi, when did you get here? I, I felt like that the, the, the Lord was just impressing on my heart. There's going to be many times this year when I'm going to be like, wow, God, I never saw that coming. I never knew that you were, I never really understood or saw you moving in that particular area. I remember it was over 20 years ago. And uh, it's actually would it be almost 22 years ago now when I was sitting in a, in a van with a guy named Greg Kroger. Greg Kroger was the associate pastor at First United Methodist Church back then. Greg Kroger is a senior, he's a senior pastor now. But Greg was talking to me as we came back from a Promise Keepers event or something. I don't remember what we'd been at, but Greg says to me, Brent, I would like for you to pray about coming on staff at First United Methodist Church and I would like for you to help us pioneer and launch a, uh, a contemporary worship service. Now, this young, at this time young, Pentecostal boy really thought that God was moving in the Pentecostal churches. But those Methodist churches, you know, I mean, they're just those mainline churches. And they're, they're probably going to get to heaven but they aren't flowing and going like the Pentecostals are, man. I mean, now I wouldn't have said that, and Greg was my friend, but I can tell you where I was at that point in my thinking. I'm, I'm a million miles from that now. But that is where I was in my thinking at that time. You know, God really is doing something in the charismatic Pentecostal world, but those other churches, in fact, I might have even at that point in my life thought, well, those churches are dead have you ever heard anyone say that before? I've actually heard people say that to us when they come to church at Destiny. They'll say, hey, I'm so glad to be here. My last church was dead. And then I actually know that there are people that have been left here and went to the next place and tell them that we're dead. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all relative. It's, it's usually not that that church is dead. It's usually that at that particular point in your life, that's not the place that God has for you. He has another place for you to fit. But instead of us sensing that or saying that, then we like to point out that church and how dead they are because they don't exactly do things the way that we thought they should do them, right? So I, you know, my thinking would have been, you know, in, the, in First United Methodist Church, it's probably just a dead church. I, I couldn't have been more wrong. When, when I became a part of that church, it was two of the most enjoyable years of my life that I'd ever had. In the midst of two of the most difficult years that we were having not knowing for sure what God wanted to do with us before we knew we were going to plant destiny. And I became a part of that church and started leading worship there. And you know what I found out? Jesus was there before I got there. <laughs> what? He was already working. And I, and I ran into a bunch of guys, some men at that church that were so long. You remember Promise Keepers, this big stadium filling thing that was going on at and we were going to Washington, D.C., million guys, you know. Uh, God was doing something, not only in the men, but the men and the women. There was a, there was a young boy I met there at the time named Ryan Wyatt. <laughs> you remember the Wyatts. That, you know, they were Methodist people, young, Meth you know, he's just a young Methodist boy on fire for God. 
Love Jesus. Randy Cross, the senior pastor of First United Methodist Church, love Jesus. Greg Kroger, love Jesus. These guys, working under them was a dream. And when we planted Destiny, when I went to them and said, man, I don't know how to say this to you guys because you've been so good to us, but we feel like that the Lord is leading us. And let me also sidebar that with, during that time, a bunch of Methodist people were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in our basement. And Randy, Randy Cross and Greg Kroger blessed it and said, hey, if that's what God's doing, we're good with that. You know, if they want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, take them over to your house, get them filled up, get them baptized. We don't care. We don't mind. They were wide open to whatever the Lord was leading. Of course, they have their own style and structure. But my goodness, in those services, contemporary services, people were clapping and raising their hands and worshiping, and their hearts were toward the Lord. More so than some of the Pentecostal churches that I'd been a part of that I thought were so alive, right? And when, we, when it came time to plant destiny, we, uh, I went to them and said, man, I just, I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know if we should do this because we have been here for two years and I don't want, you know, I don't want to pull people away from here. And their response to this day, it blows me away because I've run into, and, uh, over the years, many pastors that don't have this same heart. They said, oh, Brent, if this is what the Lord is saying to do, not only do we believe in you, but we will write an article in a newsletter, in the Methodist newsletter, and send it out to the whole congregation. And then what we want to do is on the last day that you're going to be here, we want to call you up and place our hands on you and pray over you. And what else we want to do is we want to announce to the whole Methodist church that anyone who feels called to help you plant this church will go with you. And you know what else we want to do? What do you need? You need sound equipment? We'll loan it to you. What do you need in order to get this church off the ground? I was just so blown away in a way. In another way, I wasn't because I'd worked with them for two years and I knew what kind of people they were. And I found out Jesus is alive and well all over the place. And he's doing amazing things all over the place before we ever got there. That's the deal. Jesus was there before they got there. And I can promise you, everywhere you're going to go this year, Jesus is already there and he's already doing something. So when I show up, God's going to move. Actually, he's already doing something. When you and I show up, let's just ask him what he's doing and get on board. What are you up to already here? What are you in the midst of doing? And I just want to encourage you that you and I may be surprised about where we find Jesus this year, but let's get on board because in your notes, he's been doing things behind the scenes. When they didn't know it, he was walking on water. When they didn't know it, he was getting the disciples to the other side of the sea. When they didn't know it, he was praying all night. When they didn't know it, he was already on the other side of the lake beginning to set up for the ministry that they were going to be a part of the next day. What we don't know, Jesus is already doing. He is working behind the scenes. He is working the night shift right now. And you may wonder what in the world is going to happen in your life, and maybe everything feels upside down in 2018, but I promise you Jesus is already walking on the water. Jesus is already setting up what is, is coming next for you. The setup has already happened. He's already there. Isaiah 45, 15 says, Clearly you are a God who works behind the scenes. Let's look at verse 26. So they ask him, what do you, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly. I always love when Jesus says that like he needs to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm telling the truth now, guys. I mean, this is like Jesus saying, this is for real. What I'm about to tell you guys is for real. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me. 
That sounds like a good thing, right? But it's not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Your belly got full. That's why you're here today. Your, your motives are skewed. Your motives are off. Aren't you glad, though, he didn't stop there, right? Hey, let me, he points out to them, you're seeking me. Your motive for seeking me is off, but he continues. He continues to speak to them. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Now, this is going to start, their ears are going to start perking up. They love this word work, All right, We're going to see that. And he says, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Look what he says next, though. Which the Son of Man, he's about to flip the script, will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. This is Jesus not just being full of truth, but being full of grace. How many know the Bible says he's full of grace and truth? So he tells them, you're working for food that perishes. Don't do that. Work for the food that is, is, is the food of eternal life. But by the way... I'm going to just give that to you. You're not even going to have to work for that. He's dropping a hint to them. So let's see what happens. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? We heard you say work. We love to do that. We're all about work, man. We will work for you. We will work for this kingdom. We will work. Just keep giving us that food, all right? But we will work. What do you want us to do? Oh, man, Jesus answered. And he said to them, this is the work of God. Are you ready for this? Jesus is about to drop a bomb right now. This is the work of God. Jesus is about to actually describe and define what the work of God is. So get ready. There's not three points. There's not two points. Jesus has a one-point message. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it. Wow. What do we do to work the works of God? Now, if someone asks Jesus what's the greatest commandment, he'll tell them, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. But they're getting down to the core of motivation, and they're saying, okay, what do we got to do to work the works of God? What do we got to do to see the miracles of God? What do we got to do to work for you in this kingdom? He says, okay, you ready? You ready? You ready? Ready? You know what? how the work works? Believe. Wow. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that just wash over you like water? It does me just washes over me like refreshing water, especially coming from my background, which was the work for God background. Serve God, work for God. We used to say this thing, work, work, work without any fuss. The work must be done and it's up to us. Church of God Gleaner Band. You know what the Church of God Gleaner Band was? The kids ministry. I learned that as a little boy. Work, 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 without any fuss. The work must be done, and it's up to us. Work, 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 work. And Jesus says, hey, you want to you wanna see the work accomplished? Just believe. Oh, my goodness, that's good news. So two words. I'm not going to spend a long time here, but I, I think it bears mentioning, because Jesus mentioned it. Trust Jesus. That's deep, isn't it? <laughs> Trust Jesus. In 2018, here's your prophecy Trust Jesus. <sighs> Rest in him. Believe on him. Here's how John 6, 29 reads in the Amplified Bible. Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe, adhere to, 
trust in, rely on, and have faith in the one whom he has sent. Man, I, I can't even tell you the number of times. <laughs> I used to have a friend anytime I would say that. I can't tell you the number of times he'd always interrupt me and go, oh, you can tell me. No, I mean, I can't, I don't know the number of times that I've heard Royce Freeman quote, Proverbs, what is it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, three, five, and six. Good job, Brian. Trust in the Lord with all, because I didn't remember it right then, so good job, Brian. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths or make your path straight, right? Mm. That's a good word, isn't it? That's a real life, everyday, Tuesday at 3.30 in the afternoon kind of word, isn't it? Like when you're in the thick of it on Tuesday at 3.30 and you're trying to meet a deadline at work this week, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What do I do to do the works of God? Believe. Trust. Rest in Jesus. He's got you. He's got this. So then verse 30. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? This blows my mind. They've seen him feed to 5,000 miracles everywhere. What work do you perform? They're still there, aren't they? Nothing is budged in their thinking at all. That's why this, this passage, I love this whole John chapter 6, because Jesus doesn't back down, pedal to the metal, all the way through until he's thinned out the crowd to 12. And even all 12 of those aren't with him, right? <laughs> He continues to bring home the truth. So again, I'll say this. He loves to, I don't want to say he loves. He will offend our mind in order to open up our heart to a better life. So he, he continues to move ahead. You know, then what do we do? We want to hear, they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, here he goes again, truly, truly. I'm going to have to talk to you guys again. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who, notice the tense in, in which he's speaking, who gives you the bread out of heaven. They're talking about what happened when, when manna was given in the wilderness. Jesus brings, remember, he's the I am God. As far as he's concerned, he's I am right then as well, Right? Before Abraham was, I am. We read that last week. So as far as he's concerned, he is the I am of the wilderness and the, the days of manna. And, and that's what they want to talk about. So he says, well, let me tell you, as the I am, my father gives you, present tense, the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the cosmos, to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. They don't get it yet, right? You guys have read this story, many of you. You know he's talking about himself, right? They're still talking about the bread they ate yesterday, and what they really want to see is do the manna trick. We've read about it. We want to see the manna trick. We had bread and fish yesterday. Today we want banana bread, all right? What can you do? What have you done for me lately? Uh, dun, dun, dun. That's what they're saying to him, right? We want to see the manna. Show it, show us, show us, show us, show us. Make it look like Exodus again. Make it rain manna everywhere. 
Jesus said to them, now this is where he drops the I am bomb right here. Jesus said to them, ego I me, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. That's good news, isn't it? So when Jesus makes the statement, I am the bread of life, he's doing it in the context of their understanding of manna, right? That's what they bring up. Remember, manna came from heaven. Jesus takes what they bring up of the scripture and he begins to reveal that he is the fulfillment of that. How many of you know you can find Jesus through the whole Bible? He's through the whole Bible. Manna isn't as much about manna as it is about Jesus. It's, there's a revelation of Jesus hidden in manna. And so he uses that. So when we hear him say, I am the bread of life, we don't only think of it in the context of how we understand bread, carbs, right? And we're all trying to avoid them. It's the first of the year. We're all doing our best to not eat as much bread as we did last year. And we think of bread in whatever context we have of bread. But he is talking about manna. He's, he's speaking about it in the context of the discussion they just had. So that made me think about a few things about manna. There's way more that we could talk about, but just a few this morning. First of all, how many know manna was there every day for six days of the week, right? And on the sixth day, you gathered enough to carry you through the Sabbath. And the bread was only good for that day, right? Some people would even hide it away, and the next day it'd be all it'd be all moldy and you couldn't eat it, right? But this, this, this stuff that would show up with the dew, they, manna just means what is it? By the way, that's what the word manna means. What, that, that's why they named it that. They came out one day and goes, what is it? And from then on, they called it, what is it? That's what manna means. So they come out and they see this, you know, he'd already told them he's going to do it, but they're all shocked when it happens. And they come out and they see it and they go, what is it? This, this manna. And it would be there in the dew of the morning, in the early morning. They could collect it off the ground. They would pick it up enough for their family to carry them through the day. And so one of the things I felt like that, that spoke to me is the importance of, in your notes, coming to Jesus daily. Coming to Jesus every single day. In fact, John 6.35 in the Passion Translation says it this way, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Believe in me and you will never be thirsty. I love that. Come every day to me. Notice what I'm saying. I'm not just saying come to the Bible daily. I am saying that, but I'm not just saying that. Come to the Bible daily. Come to prayer daily. You can come to the Bible and come to prayer and not come to Jesus. You with me? Pharisees came to the Bible every day and they didn't encounter Jesus. He's speaking to people that have, are very familiar with the scriptures, especially the spiritual leaders and the Pharisees of that day. They, know that they knew the book better than we do. And they came to the Bible daily, memorized most of the old covenant, all five books of the law. They knew by memory. I cannot even fathom that. What was it like to memorize Leviticus? And they knew the whole thing by heart and could quote it. You can come to the Bible and not come to Jesus. It's an issue of the heart, isn't it? 
I'm coming to the, to the Bible just because I'm supposed to read it, or I can even just come to the Bible to get some good advice. And it's full of good advice. The Bible's got great advice, some great you know, ways to live our lives with our families and our finances and all kinds of great counsel. But even Jesus said about the scripture, he said, you search the scripture, and you guys have heard me quote this, one of my favorite verses, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me, and you won't come to me. And the whole purpose of the scriptures is to point you to me. Like I said, he's all through even the Old Testament. You're reading about manna, you're reading about Jesus. I don't know anybody, my friend Quincy Goodstar, I don't think I know anybody that can take the Word of God, the Old Testament, every time we have lunch together, he brings some obscure Old Testament passage to lunch and shows me Jesus in the passage, and my jaw drops. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never saw it, and there he is. There's Jesus in the midst of that passage. You can find Jesus every single day in Scripture. He's there waiting for you. He wrote the book, so I think he's pretty good at interpreting it, right? So come to Jesus in your notes when you read his Word. When you pray, and when you journal, when you take time to write down what he's speaking to you, that's what the prophet Habakkuk said. He said, I will write it on tablets. That's what he was told to do. Write down what is said to you on tablets and make it plain so the one who reads it can run with it. Mostly that's you. When you read it, you can run with it. At the end of this last year, I went back and read. This is the first year. Last year is the first year. And part of it is because I am in seminary right now and the class was on journaling. <laughs> I had to do it to get a grade, right? So one of the things that um, I did was keep a regular journal and still doing, keep a regular a journal of what the Lord is speaking, what I'm speaking to him, pouring out my heart and what I feel like he's saying to me. And you know, there's a lot of days that I'll just type it out, close my eyes and start typing and I'm done and I'll think, wow, I don't know if that was God or not. Anybody else have that encounter when you're journaling or writing down what you feel like? But I went back at the end of the year and I read it all and I just began to cry as I begin to sense, oh my goodness, there's just themes running through here that you've been speaking to me about all year long, Jesus. And you know what? If I hadn't written it down, I couldn't go back and revisit it. Now you would think, being a pastor for as long as I have, I would have learned that by now, right? But I would encourage you because I'm seeing the fruit of it in my life and I would not tell you what to do in this area, but I would encourage you there's so much value in journaling and writing out what the Lord, what you sense that he might be saying to you, right? And you can go back and revisit it later. But whether you're journaling or reading scripture or praying, the whole purpose is coming to Jesus. Spending time with Jesus in his relationship. So we come to Jesus. That's the first thing that I think about when I think of manna, daily. The second thing is Jesus is fulfilling. Jesus is fulfilling. He is the bread. He fills us up. Manna was something that every day they could gather enough to totally fill up on. In fact, the day before when he broke the bread and the fish, said the crowd ate all they could eat and they collected the fragments that were left over, right? Because he's not enough, he's too much, right? Jesus is fulfilling more so than everything else that we reach out to to try to get fulfilled. Jesus is fulfilling. And, and one of the things that I felt like he spoke the strongest to me, this is the phrase, the next one, that actually was the launching pad for this whole series. He is enough. That's what I felt like the Lord just spoke to me. I am enough. I am enough. 
You may feel like you have, uh, you know, shortfalls in various areas of your life. Any, it could be relationally, financially, emotionally, physically. Jesus says, I'm enough. But I don't, I don't have enough to do what I want to do or feel like I'm... I am enough. Right now, this moment, that's what he speaks to you. Every single day, he is the I am that says, I'm fulfilling. I am enough. It also speaks to me in your notes that he is not just bread. He is fresh bread. He is fresh bread. Oh, there's something about the smell of fresh bread, isn't there? Oh, my goodness. You, you guys are getting hungry, aren't you? You only got a couple more minutes, all right? He is, he is fresh bread. Every single day, fresh. Not, and I love that David got this. He would, he would talk about being anointed with fresh oil. And Isaiah would say something, or Jeremiah would say something like, his mercies are new every morning. When they went out to collect manna, it was fresh. Yesterday's manna is not going to satisfy you. Yesterday's encounter with Jesus is only valuable, and it is valuable, but it's only valuable in reminding you that you need one today. It's only valuable as a reminder and a testimony in your life that you can look back on and remember his faithfulness so that you turn right around and go to Jesus fresh today. Not just, oh, you did it back then. Oh, you did it back then. Where are you now? I've prayed prayers like that, right? Anyone else? Where are you now? You did it back then. It's, It's to encourage us. When we look back, it's to encourage us. He's the I am God. The one who was I am then is still I am right now. He is fresh bread. He, so in being fulfilling, he's not only enough, but he's fresh. I would even add, he's tasty. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. Manna had kind of a, a honey flavor from what you read in Scripture, right? A little bit of a sweet taste to it. And he was, it was tasty. Now, of course, they complained after eating that for a while, Right? And I think sometimes we can even get in that place in our lives. But every day he's got something fresh for us. Every single day something tasty that he wants to reveal to us. Also, the other thing that speaks to me is that Jesus is life-giving. Because he says, I'm the bread of life. Right? I am life-giving. So if while you're praying, while you're reading, while you're journaling... What you hear is something along the lines of, you filthy worm, I loathe the day I formed you. Is that life-giving? How many know you can throw that out the window? That's not bread of life, right? Life-giving. What he, even his correction is life-giving. I have found that the correction of God is always an invitation. It's not a punishment. He doesn't punish his kids. He corrects us with invitation, huh? to restoration. If, even if we've fallen, if we've messed up, if we've totally ruined an area of our life, he invites us. He is the only one I've ever known who can correct me and I feel good. I mean, I feel good like hurt so good. Come on, Jesus, make it hurt so good. Well, maybe not quite like that, but you know, 
it, even in the correction, there's this invitation to, come on, Brent, there's more for you. You don't have to be lost in that. You don't have to spend the rest of your life uh, wallowing around in shame or whatever the thing is that he's, he's working with me about or your self-image and how you see yourself. Those are things he works with me on. But I always know it's with invitation. I didn't always know that, but I always know it now that God's correction is invitation. I'm going to close this morning by reading something out of my journal that I ran across as I was rereading toward the end of last year, because I want you to see, for me, I just want an example, a living example of me going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, and this is a question I ask him very often when I'm journaling. I'll say, what do you, what's on your mind today, Jesus? What scripture do you want to talk to me about today, Jesus? And here's what he spoke to me. I'm going to just read it to you guys. It's a little long, but not super long. Here's what I wrote. Well, here I am again, thinking of the man born blind in John 9. I've been that, in that chapter a lot. I suppose I'm drawn here over and over again because I was born blind. There must be something you want to speak to me from this passage. I know my identity is not wrapped up in blindness, is it? In the story, I feel shunned and hurt by the disciples. So he's taking me inside the story is what I'm sensing. No more commentary, I'll just read. In the story, I feel shunned and hurt by the disciples talking about me as if I'm not there. I feel like a case study in deliverance. I don't feel like they care about me, just about looking good in front of Jesus. I then hear that voice. Not even focusing on my or my parents' sin, just saying, look what God can do. The next thing I know, I, I hear him spit, and then he's rubbing mud in my eyes. Is this another healing experiment? I've already been through enough of those and, and I've tried them on, my on myself. And then he speaks again and he simply says for me to go and wash the mud out of my eyes in the pool of Siloam. Something about the sound of his voice. I've heard of his miracles, but he's not doing this the way I would have thought he would. Still, there's something in his voice. I feel it. I feel it for the first time in years. It's hope. Could this be real? I've heard a lot of talk, and I've heard, and I've heard, and I've heard, and it seems like all I can do is here. I make my way to the pool, feeling my way there like I have felt my way everywhere thousands of times. Nothing feels different except that I have drying mud in my eyes. Did I misunderstand his intent? Is he just trying to teach me a lesson? What if I get there and I wash the mud off my eyes and I still can't see? He actually never said I'd see. He just told me to wash off the spit and mud that he put in my eyes. What do I have to lose? I have to wash this crud out anyways. Lord, I'll be so sad if I'm not healed. But something deep in me knows you love me. Oh my God, something deep in me knows that you love me and I felt it when you noticed me, not my condition, but me. I can't lie to you, I'll be disappointed if I wash and I'm not healed, but for some reason, I just keep hoping. I'm at the pool and as the water hits my eyes, it's an explosion of light and it's almost like electricity shooting through my eyes. I've never seen anything like this. Well, I've never seen anything <laughs> This is amazing. Wow, I don't have words to describe the beauty and the brightness. It is so bright, not just in my eyes, but in my heart. He did it. You did it. I can see. 
then the Lord starts talking to me, Brent, you're on a journey. I know you've had hope and then you've doubted, but I've never stopped believing. You are right. I noticed you, not what you perceive as a disability. You are defined by me, not blindness. I am working in you all throughout the journey. I applied the clay to your eyes. You are now on your way to the pool. Enjoy the journey. Don't worry anymore about the outcome. I've already applied the healing clay. Just feel your way to the pool that I've already provided. Let hope arise. Sing as you walk. Sing of hope. Feel all your feelings and submit them to me. We will process them together. The journey for you to the pool is an inward journey. The pool is within you. Continue to wash in the inner pool of my spirit and you will see an explosion of light with your inner and outer eyes. Keep walking, feeling, hoping, seeing, and washing. You've got what the man in John 9 did not. I am with you always. Let's stand. Amen. Oh, I let you guys in on my little secret time with the Lord there. Man, isn't he good. That's why I'm saying, and, and what he wants to say to you, and nothing, maybe it can sound nothing like that. But you know what I do know? Jesus, it says about him in, in Luke chapter 4, he opened the, the scroll and he found where it was written about him. He found where it was written about him. Jesus will open up scripture to you and you will find where it is written about you. And he will speak to you as you spend time with him daily coming to the bread of life. Amen. So this morning, you're here and you haven't surrendered your life to him as your life, your hope, your peace, your all, your savior, your Lord. And you need to do that. Raise your hand real high if that's you. You could raise your hand and, and without shame and without fear, knowing that he loves you today. Is there anyone here that needs to do that this morning? We don't want to miss that opportunity. All right, then, Lord, we just say we come to you even now. You are our I am. You are our bread of life. You're life-giving. And I thank you this week that as your people, these beautiful sons and daughters of yours here this morning, God, they are so precious to you, Lord. Your beautiful sons and daughters here this morning, Lord, as they come to you this week, Oh, I love what you said, that if we ask for the Spirit, you're not going to give us a stone or a scorpion or a serpent. We're not going to get some dry, deadly or, or, or painful experience, Lord, but we ask for the Spirit, you give us the life-giving Spirit. Lord, we come to you this week, and this week I know that your people are going to encounter you every day of this week, because you are their I am God. I bless them today, God, as your beautiful sons and daughters, in Jesus' name, amen.